Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. We are continuing our series um, called Identity. It's a series that we've been looking at out of the book of Ephesians. And uh, the whole idea behind this, this idea of identity we've been talking about is that, that behavior flows out of identity. Like once we know who we are, we know how to live. And that's really the structure that the Apostle Paul has in, in the book of Ephesians, that the first three chapters are all about identity. And then chapter four starts off, says, therefore, this is how you should live. If this is who you are, if you know who you are, then this is how you should live. And it impacts every aspect of our lives. It is, impacts our relationships. It impacts our, our sense of self. It impacts, you know, the, think, the behaviors that we, that we engage in every single day. It's identity we've been talking about. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11 in a second here. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been to like a, a party, like a Christmas party, a work party, uh, where a whole bunch of people get invited and, and you don't necessarily know everybody that's there? You, you, you're invited because you're part of that group or you're part of that, that department or whatever, and because there's enough people there, they need to kind of, you need to label yourselves, so, so you get these, these tags, and the tags will say something like this, hello, I am blank, right? Now, naturally, what we think is, I would say, hello, I am Rich. My name is Rich, right? I, or Richard, I should say Richard, so people don't get confused about me being Rich or Richard. Anyways, <laughs> hello, my name is Rich. That's, that's natural, right? But then you have that very eager person in the office that really wants to mix it up a little bit, you know, like, let's not, just, let's not be so predictable. Let's, let's mix it up some. So they decide, instead of putting your name, you're not allowed to put your name. All you can do, do in this blank is put a descriptor. Like, just tell us something about yourself, right? And so, hello, I am blank. And so, I think statistically, what we would normally do is I would say, hello, I am a pastor, Right? I think most of us, by default, will go to identifying ourselves by what we do. So you might say, I'm a doctor, I'm a, you know, I'm a teacher, whatever, I'm a, I'm a pastor. Um, and, 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 you know, it's usually their titles are just titles. You don't really think too much about it. Unless it was like, I'm a Navy SEAL, <laughs> then that might, that might draw attention, right? You might look at that person and really ask the question. But typically, this is what happens. And then what happens when I identify myself as a pastor, and I'm walking through the room, and I see somebody else that says, there says, their tag says, I'm a pastor. What happens? Connection. Like instant connection. Like I found somebody that does what I do. And so, so within this identity of being a pastor, Community has been, is being built. There's connection. Maybe we, we put in that blank, we put some kind of passion or interest that we have. Like I'm a runner. Or I'm a, you know, I'm a Star Wars freak. How many Star Wars freaks in this room? I know, I use the word freak so you don't want to raise your hand. I get it. But I know you. You're a Star Wars freak. All right? Or whatever, whatever thing you, whatever passion you have, you know, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat or whatever, you might put that in there. And then you meet somebody else with that same label and suddenly you have instant community. So what we find here is that our identity is connected to community. Our identity is connected to being connected to other people, right? 
A word that we could use for that is that we have built-in community within identity. We would call that a tribe. A tribe. So we have these tribes. Your identity gives you a tribe. Your, your identity has a way of, of putting you together with other people that think the same way, and that becomes your tribe. Now, what we have discovered here recently in our culture, though, is that our tribes have, or this idea of a tribe has kind of navigated or moved towards tribalism. And we've become very tribalistic in our way of thinking. It's this idea that, like, it's, I'm not just, it's not, it's not just that this is my identity, this is what I identify with, but now I begin to look at, okay, who are those who don't identify with me? Like, I'm not just looking on the inside who's in, but I look on the outside who's out. And I maybe even feel certain attitudes towards them or feel like they don't really belong or they're wrong or there's something, some, something inherently wrong with them because they don't belong to my tribe. This is the idea of tribalism. We see this a lot on social media these days, don't we? Right? I know you probably think, because I think I've referenced Facebook for the last three Sundays. And you might think, man, he must really hate Facebook. No, I don't hate Facebook. I even have a Facebook page. I do. But, um, but it's interesting how Facebook, when it first started, it was this idea that it was going to bring the world together, right? Like it was going to be one big homogeneous tribe. That we were all going to get together and meet each other and just connect. And it was just going to be so awesome. But how long did it take before it went from tribe to tribalism? From, you know, hey, we're one big family to, man, can you believe those people, you know? And it just got very divided very quickly, right? One of the things I do when... When I get a Facebook request, request for somebody to, you know, for, to be friends with somebody on Facebook, don't, don't worry, don't, don't let this dis discourage you from, from, <laughs> from requesting me to be Facebook friends with you, okay, because it's okay, I will, um, maybe I will, I'm not, okay, no promises that I will, but I, I, will, I, will, not dis I will not discriminate against you. Um, but one of the things I do, one of the things I do is I, when, I, when I say yes to somebody, I've seen them, I talk to them, whatever, and I say yes, I go to their about the about section on, the, on their profile, and I, I kind of look up what groups they're a part of. Like, you know, it kind of helps me understand a little bit who they are, what they think about, the things that, that, you know, they belong to, you know, and I found that there's a lot of interesting groups out there. Like, uh, there's a group called the Dear Pringles group. And here's how, you belong, how, here's how you belong in the Dear Pringles group. You have to like Pringles, so how many of you like Pringles? Okay, good. And, and uh, your hand cannot fit in the can. If your hand can't fit in the can and you like Pringles, you have a tribe, the Deer Pringles tribe. That's pretty much all of us, unless you're a kid, you know, but we all have a tribe called the Deer Pringles tribe. Uh, another one, this is for some of you uh, Parks and Rec people out there. Um, the Ron Swanson Appreciation Tribe. <laughs> all right, this is, this is how you become a part of this tribe. Be a, be a Ron Swanson or a Leslie. Eat meat, drink single malt. Cons this is on the Facebook, by the way. This is not my words. This is what they, this is what they have. Uh, eat meat, drink single malt, consume vast quantities of sugar if you want. Um, be a good citizen. Don't be a Tammy or a Jam. So I don't even know who Tammy or Jam are, but evidently they're not good people. Don't fall in a pit. Know what you're about. And then 
B. Ron Blank Swanson. I can't say the blank part because it's, it's yeah. B. Ron Blank Swanson. And so that's the Parks and Rec tribe out there. So if you feel this way, guess what? You have a tribe that you can be a part of. There's a group that you can be a part of, right? I'm, a, I'm part of a, 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 if you go to my, my profile, you'll see that I'm part of a group called the Zonians Endangered Species because I was born in the Panama Canal Zone, when it, when it was the Panama Canal Zone. So the United States, during Panama, they had the canal, and there was 15 miles on both sides of the canal was called the Canal Zone, and it was a territory of the United States. And so I was born in this territory, but that territory no longer exists. So this group is called Zonians Endangered Species because we don't have a, nat- we don't have a homeland. We don't have a place that belongs to us. We do. It's now Panama, but it, but it used to be called the Canal Zone. So we're an endangered species. So there's these tribes that we can belong to, right? So being in a tribe is not a problem. Here's the thing. Tribalism is a problem. Tribalism is a problem. It's when you start to pay attention to not just who's in your group, but who's outside of your group, right? And when you start doing that, here's what happens. Animosity and division begins to build up. And then we are identified not so much by the tribe that we're in, but we're identified by our animosity and our division. That's how we are identified. Like if I stood up here right now and I said to you guys out loud, like, go Hawkeyes. And okay, wait, wait, I'm not done. I say, go Hawkeyes. And then in the same sentence, I say, go Cyclones. (laughs) See? Now here's the problem. Here's the problem. I would automatically get kicked out of both tribes because you can't cheer for both of them. Like if you're part of this tribe, you can't cheer for that tribe. That's just sort of how the way the, 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 way the world works when it comes to this whole idea of tribes and it's what often lends itself to, towards tribalism. And so we're seeing that today even in our own culture. We have a little term for it, identity politics, right? And I'm not, don't worry, if you're visiting here for the first time, I don't get into whole political discussions and that kind of stuff, but identity politics. And this is idea that you make your identity, you're passionate about something, and that becomes sort of a part, either your core identity or a part of your core identity. And so it just becomes this battle of us versus them, us versus them. It's the Democrats versus the Republicans. It's the, it's the CNN tribe versus the Fox News tribe. It's the, uh, you know, the, the MAGA tribe versus the BLM tribe. It's the pro-vax tribe versus the anti-vax tribe. And we, try, and we, and we get divided up into these tribes and then we demonize the other. And all that results out of that is just this division and it destroys relationships, it destroys families. In fact, some of you sitting here right now, you would say, yeah, that's true. I could just tell you how divided my family is over just the political arena that's going on in this world. Well, this is true in the first century Ephesus as well. You had these Christians who were all meant to be one in Jesus, like Jesus came to break down walls to to make us one, right? That's what the gospel is all about. But then there was a few in church who put on these labels, and the label would say, hello, I am circumcised. Okay, just so for those of you like new to the Bible, you're like, why is he talking about circumcision? Um, That was an identifier in the Bible. It was an identifier. 
And so here's this Ephesian church, this brand new church that Paul has planted, and they're made up of Jews and Christian uh, and Gentiles, and they, they've come together and they're worshiping Jesus, and they've been saved by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then a few of them say, well, wait a minute, I'm, we're a little bit better than those people. So they put on the label say, hey, I am circumcised. And so these Gentiles in this church are a little bit like, well, we're not interested in circumcision. <laughs> like, we don't want to do that. And so this division goes on. So Paul speaks to them. He first speaks to the Gentiles. In verse 11, he says, don't forget that you Gentiles, talking to the Gentiles, not the Jews in the, in the, um, in the, in the church, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders, Okay, so he helps them understand that you used to be, you used to be on the outside of things. Okay, you used to be outsiders. And the reason they were outsiders is because these Jews had built up this wall around their tribe. That was, and, and for so long, I mean, this had been centuries and centuries, this wall that had been built up. And if you were uncircumcised, you cannot go past that wall. Period. Right? In fact, Paul calls this in verse 14, you go further down, he calls this the dividing wall of hostility. There was a dividing wall of hostility. And when he talks about this dividing wall of hostility, he's speaking metaphorically like he is talking about racial divides, economic divides, and those kind of things. But he's also being very, very literal about this dividing wall of hostility because he's alluding to the temple in Jerusalem. Here's an image of the temple in Jerusalem. So the temple of Jerusalem, they had, this is a, like, a, 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 like an example of the temple. It's an actual temple. And they had these walls. I mean, it's all walls. You have walls here on the side. You have walls there. You have walls on the inside as well. And each one of these walls were separating walls. So outside of these walls was what would have been called the court of the Gentiles. So if you were a Gentile, you were okay here. You just couldn't cross that wall. You were a Gentile. In fact, if you crossed that wall, you might even lose your life. Then right here you had this, this one right here. This was the court of women. That meant that Men and women could be there, but if you were a woman, that's as far as you can go. You couldn't go beyond this to that, through that court right there, into that court right there, which was called the court of the Israelites. And that was for people who had been purified a certain way, who had, had done all the rites to get past that wall, so they would be in that wall. And then there was the court of the priest that was even further. And there was all these walls that separated people. That's how, the, in many ways, the religion was built. It was built about about categorizing people and separating them, right? And what's interesting about this is that Jesus really never really went into this area. Like he hung out on the outside of these walls because his whole idea was to tear down these walls so that people could have access to God. In fact, one of the few times that he goes into the temple, remember what he did? He starts turning the money tables upside down and throwing them out because, because people were selling stuff so that they can have access to God, so he was all about basically tearing down walls. This is what we see in the temple of Jerusalem. So Paul's alluding to this. like He's talking about literal walls that are separating. right? And so today we see a lot of walls of hostility as well that have been built. We're all familiar with it. Racial walls, all kinds of walls, gender, ethnic, religious, all kinds of walls, heritage-based walls. But I think a lot of the walls that have been built come down to like personal preference or personal opinion, matters of opinion. These seem to be the walls that separate us. Like we, like 
we're not, we're not called to build walls, but we are called to stand on the truth of Scripture, right? So we, we do have a, a sense in which we want to we uphold what Scripture teaches, right? But I think what happens is in our interpretation of it, we end up having with a, come up with a lot of opinions and personal preferences, and then we say those are the walls that people cannot cross for us. Paul was experiencing this, in fact, in Romans. He's addressing this in Romans 14. He, he addresses this division that's occurring, and it comes around, it's around this idea of food, right? This wall of food. Like there's this debate going on, like what foods can be eaten and what foods cannot be eaten. I want you to notice that when Paul speaks this, he, he tries not to give his own personal opinion. He tries really hard to not give his own personal opinion because, and it kind of goes along with what, you know, Jesus' methodology. Jesus tried hard not to give his own personal opinion. In fact, he was a rabbi, and everybody expected a rabbi to like speak up against the Roman Empire. Like, just denounce them. Take the side. Take our side against them. That was generally the expectation they had of rabbis and, and of Jesus as well. And Jesus really doesn't do that. One of the few times that he does speak up on, like, for example, on the issue of taxation. Um, they're like, hey, should we, the question, should we give taxes or not? And Jesus, let me see the coin. And he shows the coin. It has this image of Caesar on it. And he says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. You know what Jesus basically said? I'm not interested. I'm not interested in that debate. I've got more important things to do here. We're building a greater kingdom than these kingdoms that you've kind of built up here on this earth. That's what we're about. And so there's this wall that's been built up within this church, and Paul addresses them in Romans 14.1. He says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. He says, don't let disputable matters become dividing walls of hostility between you guys. Don't let things, matters of opinion, you know, cause you to do that. Like, you can be passionate about things, right? Especially if things are, if, if things are in, light of, in line with Scripture. You know, you can be passionate about those things. But don't let disputable manners, matters cause you to separate from others, especially within the body of Christ, right? In fact, in the message, he paraphrases it this way, verse 1. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. Like, as a Christian... We can, we can walk arm in arm with others and not see eye to eye. Oh, boy, that's hard to do, isn't it? Especially in the world that we live in. But we can walk arm in arm with others and not see eye to eye. That's essentially what Paul is basically talking about. And then in verse 7, the message kind of interprets this. Basically, the NIV talks about, you know, we don't, we don't get to live only for ourselves, right? That's what the NIV is saying. Here's how the message basically paraphrases this in verse 7. It says, none of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. That's, it's okay to have personal convictions about things. It's okay to have, you know, an idea about how you, society should run. It's okay to have that, have that, but you cannot insist on it upon other people. Like, you can't demand it. Like, you can't build a wall and then say the test of our relationship, of you and I being in relationship, is whether you're on this side of this wall or not. You can't do that. It's over these disputable manners, right? Matters, he says. So verse 20, he says, don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Paul's maybe almost making fun of them. You're like, you're destroying God's work just because of food. Don't do that, right? Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of your perspective on politics, for your perspective on the vaccine. Don't do that. Verse 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. You know how many times I have like 
passive aggressively wanted to just reply to an email with this, with this verse. Like, just keep it between you and God, okay? I get it. You're passionate about it, but just keep it between you and God. <clears throat> Some of you are aware that, you know, I, I'm in our, in our network. We have a network of churches here, about 126 churches in Iowa. It's called the Iowa Ministry Network, and I'm the, uh, I'm the assistant superintendent of that network. And I, because of that, I have a lot of conversations with pastors, um, call me, they email me, mostly text or call. And uh, sometimes they reach out to me to basically talk about some of the issues that they're wrestling through at church, you know, and maybe it's a smaller church and there's a lot of division going on or whatever. And uh, one of the things that these pastors, what I'm gathering from, from my conversations is that there's just a lot of pressure, especially in the last couple of years, for pastors to just speak up about things. Like... Um, like, we live in a society right now where everybody's a commentator. I mean, I pr- just, just after church, not now, after church, just open up your Facebook page, and probably the very first post is going to be somebody that you don't know, some total stranger that's making comments about some big idea. Sometimes these ideas are so much bigger than what they can possibly think, but they're making a comment about it, right? Everybody, there's this pressure for everybody to be commenting on all kinds of issues. And so these pastors are feeling a lot of pressure from inside the church and even outside the church to comment on every social and political issue. And when I'm having these conversations with them, I just say, listen, God didn't call you, you're a pastor, God didn't call you to be a political pundit. God called you to preach the gospel. Just do that. There's nothing more life-transforming, more world-changing than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your comments on the current day politics and in society and all that stuff, yeah, they may be right, maybe not, I don't know, but they can't change the world. The gospel changes people's lives. Preach the gospel, preach the gospel. And I would say to all of us here, part of our identity is that we are, as Christians, part of our identity is that we are ministers of reconciliation. You and I, If you're a child of God, if you're a son of God or a daughter of God, you have been called to be a minister of reconciliation. That your calling in life supersedes all these other things. Your calling in life is to reconcile people back to God. That's your calling. You are invited to live that way on a daily basis, is reconciling people back to God. And so, as a church then, we won't build walls. As a church, we want to build bridges. We want to connect people to God. We don't want want to be about what we're against. We want to be about what we're for, right? We need to be bridge builders instead of wall builders. And so that, you know, that's important. I know you hear me, you hear me saying, I say, yeah, Rich, of course, amen. Well, that might mean that you have to go back on your social media page and look at your post and ask yourself about each post. Is it building a bridge or is it building a wall? Which one is it? Because if you're building a wall, essentially Paul is speaking for you and for me. So in light of this, I want to ask us three questions real quickly. I'm going to try to move through this quickly. Three questions that we should consider as we're talking about building walls or building bridges. First one is this. Is there a mission that you've become more passionate about than the Great Commission? Is there a mission that you have become more passionate about than the Great Commission? Like our true tribe is committed 
to preaching the gospel around the world and connecting people to Jesus Christ. Is there something, though, that has replaced that for you? Second question. Do you find yourself identifying with tribes based on fear and or offense? Like, is that how you connect with people? Is out of fear? More accurately, out of some kind of shared offense? Like, um, you know, we were all wounded, we were all hurt in this area, and therefore that's my tribe. And so the rallying call for your tribe is our shared offense. That's why we come together is because we all feel the same way about this particular issue. But if you're a part of this true tribe of followers of Jesus Christ, then as a child of God, your identity is not in fear. Your identity is in faith. Your identity is not in offense. Your identity is in grace. Not, not just grace receiving, but grace giving. That's your identity. Third question. Have you taken your personal opinions and built a wall and made that wall a test of relationship? Like you have strong ideas about something. And that's okay. Nobody's saying you should not have strong opinions or ideas. But have you built a wall and then said, for you and I to have a relationship, you've got to be on this side of that wall? Have you done that? Listen, we can be right on an issue and we can still be wrong. There's a difference between rightness and righteousness. Like I can be right on an issue, but I'm completely wrong in how I speak it. Like it's about being right in how we talk, how we relate to other people, how we love other people. Am I right in my love? Am I slow to speak, slow to get angry? Am I quick to listen? So... The Apostle Paul goes on in Ephesus, he says, you were once outsiders, verse 12, he says, you were excluded from citizenship, like you were not a citizen, now you're a citizen, verse 13, but now, like you were, now you are, but, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus, once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ, for Christ himself has brought peace to us, he united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Like there was a wall that was separating us and Jesus went to the cross to bring us together. And when we on this earth divide ourselves, we're saying what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. Was not enough. Verse 18, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us, we can come together. That marks us as a tribe. We are one tribe, right? There's no walls. Words like separated, excluded, outsider, those are gone. Verse 19, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. Listen to this identity language. Strangers and foreigners, you are, you are citizens. This is identity language, right? Along with all the God's holy people, you are members, more identity language, members of God's family. That's who you are. You've been brought together. We are united in Christ. Paul kind of picks up on this theme in Galatians as well. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves, <clears throat> have clothed yourselves with Christ. I love that imagery. Like, we're so different, but then we put on clothes that make us brothers and sisters. Like, when I see what you're wearing, I'm like, yes, that's my brother. It's from Africa, but that's my brother. 
Because I see how you're dressed. You're clothed with Christ, right? There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is not saying here that there are no differences between people. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying that, the, you know, that we no longer have our, our, like our heritage identity and all that, because that's not what he's saying. He said, but when we're in Christ, those separations, those things that made us hostile towards each other are gone when you're in Christ. So that means there's no more Democrat or Republican. There's no more citizen or immigrant. There's no more Presbyterian or Pentecostal, Calvinist or Armenianist. No more white collar or blue collar. No more young or old. No more married or single. No more doctorate or dropout. No more insider or outcast. No more deserving or undeserving. We have been, in Christ, made one. In Revelation 7, there's this uh, John, the Apostle John, is describing this scene. I love the scene that he's describing in Revelation 7. It's a scene of people coming together, and it's what it says. <clears throat> After this, I looked, like John sees his vision. It's, it's real, it's true, but it hasn't really happened yet. It's in the future, right? He says, After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Billions of people. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God, before the Lamb and Lamb of God. Now, what's interesting about this passage that you notice is that we're all in heaven, but we still have our distinctives. There's different tribes, different languages, different people groups. We all have our distinctives. We're different. You know, we're different. Like it is right now, if you sit in this church and you just kind of look a little bit to your left and to your right, you'll notice that we're all sitting here, we're all listening to the same gospel, we've all had the same experience, but we are different, we come from different backgrounds, different places, right? But then look what it says in verse 10, it says, and they, and it's like they're having this worship service together, it says, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God. Salvation comes from our God. Like this is our identifier. We are from different tribes, nations, tongues, language, everything. We're from different places, but it is our God. That's what unifies us. We are one. We are one. This is inclusive language. We are one tribe with one God. In other words, all these tribes, all these tongues, all these nations can declare that the truest thing about me, like I'm Panamanian. I'm from the country of Panama. My mother's Panamanian. My father's an American. That's true about me. But the truest thing about me is that I'm a child of God. And the truest thing about some of you, all of you hopefully in this room, is that you're children of God. And that makes us one in Christ. We are one. Now in this world, this is really, really hard to, to get to, to be honest with you. We live in a world, I think the number one, we sing about the enemy, the enemy, we're not talking about individual people out there. When we talk about the enemy, as we sing about the enemy, what we're talking about is there's an enemy out there that wants nothing more than to divide us. To bring division in your homes, in your workplace, in your church, in your, you know, in your extended families. That's what the enemy wants to do. And it's hard. It really is hard to get to this place where we understand that we are one, that that's our, our identity. Right? And so what it means for some of us is that we're going to have to sacrifice a few things. Like there might be some personal preference that you have. If that personal preference is, you know, I mean, if it's not necessarily addressed in scripture, you might need to sacrifice that. 
You might need to put that aside and say, I need to reconnect with my son who just is not talking to me anymore because I had this a strong opinion about this political platform. That's what it might mean. That we're going to humble ourselves and we're going to accept people in. We're going to bring people in. Let's be people who refuse to build walls. Let's be a people who build bridges. Amen? Um, in March of 1993, my, my family and I, we flew across the world to the country of Bangladesh to serve as missionaries there. And uh, when we landed, I got an image here. When we landed, this is our family. Um, we had three little boys at that time. Look at my wife. She's, she's beautiful, right? There she is. Chrissy's sitting there. She's like, stop it. Um, <clears throat> um, Joyce in the office this morning said, oh, she was like a teenager. I'm like, no, she was 33 years old there. Um, anyways, uh, this, we, this is when we landed in Bangladesh. <clears throat> and, um, and I remember uh, getting there, and man, our senses were just attacked. They were just assaulted. Smells were just hard to bear. Tens of thousands of people at the airport, you know, we're loading up our suitcases into this, into this little minivan, you know, that had a lot of, we had a boxes and suitcases, a ton of them, you know, we're loading them up. And I look across and I mean, there's, there's thousands and thousands of people around and I look and there's a guy standing there just peeing on the sidewalk, you know, I was like, what? They do that here, you know? I mean, everything was so foreign, it was so different. I was reminded every single day of how different this place was than where I came from. Like, nothing felt like Louisiana. We had lived in Louisiana. Nothing felt like Louisiana at all, right? And I was just feeling so homesick, so detached, so disconnected. And then about a month later, we went to the, uh, this, was at, this was actually at the Easter service. We went to their Easter service at the church there, the Dhaka Assembly God Church. And um, uh, they were having service in Bengali, at the time, we didn't speak any Bengali. We didn't know what was going on, you know. Um, they're saying stuff, and we're, we didn't know when to stand up, when to sit down. We just didn't know anything. We're just clueless and feeling so disconnected. And then all of a sudden, you hear this harmonium. This guy up here is playing a harmonium. It's a type of instrument, like an accordion piano type of thing. He's playing his harmonium, and, and I could hear the familiar tune. And then the words, ki prem, ki which basically translated means, how beautiful love, how amazing grace and I knew they were singing Amazing Grace, and I began to sing um, Amazing Grace. And in that moment, I realized I don't understand them. They come from different cultures, different backgrounds, but we are one tribe. We are one tribe. Like this guy right here, he's a Dutch guy. What was his name? Remember his name? Anyways, he's a Dutch guy. He's a cool guy, but this guy right here, Colin Benham, he was just... Colin, if you're watching, I'm sorry, but he was just like jerk. He was just, he was hard to deal with, you know. There's a lot of things that we just didn't agree with, but guess what? We were sitting right there and we were singing Amazing Grace together. We were one, we were one tribe, we're together. There's a lot of differences. If you look to the left and right, there's a lot of differences between you, but we are one tribe. And that's how we're supposed to live this life. And that's what we need to fight for. Tear down walls, build bridges. Amen? Let's all stand. Our prayer teams are going to be here and left and right. We're going to sing with, we're going to end with one last song of worship. But um, <clears throat> let me just make this very practical for some of you. I think some of you in this room right now, and I'm pretty sure of it, not, I don't have to say I think, I'm pretty sure of it. There's some of you in this room right now that um, 
that there are walls that have been built up in your home with your families, some coworkers. Some of these walls are racial in, in, uh, you know, in, in, in nature. Some of them are economic in nature. Some of them are just political in nature. Some of them circle around societal kind of issues and, and you're feeling just, you feel so right. You feel so right. You feel, this is just the right way it is, but it is a matter of opinion. It is a matter of personal preference and, and the relationship has been broken. And I just want to challenge you today that if you're in that kind of place right now, that you would work hard at tearing down some walls that have been built up. Just work hard on that. It might mean that you're going to have to sacrifice a few things. You're going to have to sacrifice some of your own personal preferences. You might have to look at somebody with some new eyes and love them because Christ loved them, <laughs> because Christ gave his life for them. I need to love them. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place. I thank you, Father, for my brothers and sisters in Cedar Rapids and in Wilton right now that you're speaking to them as well. I pray, God, that you will just move in our church, Lord God. Help us to be a church that tears down walls and builds bridges, that understands our calling to be ministers of reconciliation, that there is one Lord, one Savior who gave his life on the cross so that we could have life. And right now, will you help us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you help us to repent before our own children and our own loved ones where we've built walls that need to, be, that need to come down? And help us, Jesus, to worship you with our whole being. In Jesus' name.